Amen. Speak, O Lord, take and fashion us, shape us, form us for your glory until the whole world is filled with your glory. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Richard, for playing such a rich service already. Now, as we receive the word, I'm going to ask my buddy, Alexi, come on up here. Alexi Smith is a professional potter. Now, let's welcome Alexi today. <laughs> I'll shake your hand now while it's clean. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in a minute, it's going to be pretty nasty. Uh, someone introduced him to this morning, and, and they shook his, went to shake his hand, and he said, I don't think you want to shake my hand right now. Alexi uh, has studied pottery at uh, Wichita State University, and he is a uh, professional, as I said. He sells his pottery, Clay Lady Studios, is that right? You can talk to him afterwards, find out where you can buy his stuff. It's awesome. He's also a competitive CrossFitter, which is exciting as well. He's a lot better shape than I am, but that's all right. He's going to be making some, some real-life pottery here for us today to, to demonstrate visually what our text is all about this morning in Jeremiah chapter 18, that God is the potter and that we are the clay. So I'm sure this won't be distracting, right, youth? You'll be able to focus. Is this in your line of sight here for these people, Calvin? You want to move these flowers. I feel like Alberta, you may not be able to see Dot White. We want you to be able to see what's going on here, okay? Thanks, Cal. So this is a rich passage that I'm sure many of you have already heard, and we've already been hearing about this metaphor already as we've prayed, God have thine own way with us, shape and mold us. So let's dive into this text. Will you stand this morning as we hear God's word read out loud from Jeremiah chapter 18? The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good I had intended to do to it. Now therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return, everyone, from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, that's in vain. We will follow our own plans, and we will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. So Jeremiah is, is God's chosen instrument, his mouthpiece to the people of Judah. And as God's chosen mouthpiece, God says, go down to the potter's house and watch him 
do his thing. And there you will hear the word. I will let you hear, he says, the words that I have for you. And so he obeys, of course. And this is actually, it's kind of cool for us to see this. I've never made pottery, but for people in the ancient Near East, this was an incredibly common sight. They used pottery for everything in the ancient Near East. All throughout Israel, this was a very common scene in the the marketplace. It'd be like you and me today observing a a mail delivery truck dropping off the mail, or watching a teacher in a classroom full of children kind of do their thing, or it'd be like watching a landscaper mowing a lawn or something. A very common part of the marketplace economy of the ancient Near East. Earthen vessels, pots and bowls and jars, vases that were all made from from mud and and, and clay were used by Israelites for just about everything in their homes. And, And since they were kind of Fragile, these earthen vessels, potters enjoyed a, a good bit of job security. Alexi, you may have done better back in the ancient Near East there. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it, that the art of pottery making really hasn't changed that much over thousands of years. Pretty much what you see right now is pretty much what Jeremiah would have seen. Alexi's got a fancy wheel with an electric uh, pedal there that he, he pushes on. Of course, they didn't have that thousands of years ago, but in in Bible times, the potter would start by digging up some good mud, some good clay from the ground, and then he would remove the obvious big stuff, the grass, the the twigs, the the rocks, that kind of stuff, before he would begin to to knead it and make it more pliable, more malleable. And he would do this at first by walking on it. In in the the book of Isaiah, the prophet describes Cyrus, the... uh, the emperor of Persia who came in and kicked the Babylonians out, he describes him this way in Isaiah chapter 41. He says through the prophet Isaiah, but I have stirred up a leader who will approach from the north. From the east he will call on my name. I will give him victory over kings and princes. He will trample them as a potter treads on clay. You may have never thought of treading on clay, but that's how they would stomp out the impurities in the clay and prepare the clay. to to become the vessel that the potter intended for it to become. And then after he treads on it, he would further knead the clay by hand in order to get it soft and, 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 and malleable again, pliable, even more pliable, ready to be formed into whatever he had in mind for it. And he would throw the clay down. Earlier today, uh, uh, Alexei said he wanted to go ahead and get it centered and, and started, so he, he slapped it down so hard on the wheel, and I guess that's to help it get a good firm foundation and help it uh, get secured onto the wheel, but he would also split it in half several times and, and, and push it down in order to get all the air bubbles out of it and further purify the clay, and he would get just the right mixture of, of sand and water if he needed to add some of that to it, and then he would take just the right amount and slap it on the center of his wheel. And here in in verse 3, it says that the potter was working at his wheel. In Hebrew, the the text literally says, at his two stones. The the potters in Bible times had two stones. There was one on the the bottom. We have a picture of this, I think, Andy. You can kind of see there's there's the big one at the bottom. He would kind of dig this pit in his house, and he would use his feet to turn the, the bottom wheel. When Morgan took a pottery class in high school, she said that that's what they did. They had to kick the wheel with their foot in order to spin the, the top stone. So there were two stones connected by a rod. They would kick the bottom one, that would spin the, the top stone so they could, could form the, the vessel into what they wanted it to be. 
Then the, the potter would wet his hands from a bucket like you saw Alexi do. Same thing. And then he would begin to, to master the clay is what they call it. They would make the clay responsive to their touch by, by cupping their hands. And it begins to, to rise into this shape that they intended for it to become. That's called mastering the clay. But clay can be very difficult to work with, apparently. I've never really worked with clay other than like Play-Doh with my kids, so I'm not really sure how it works. But when I asked Alexi if he could make something during, you know, 25, 30-minute sermon, he said, yeah, sure, that should be fine, unless the clay's being finicky. I said, what? Finicky? What do you mean finicky? He's like, well, you never know what the, what the clay's going to do. I'm like, dude, you've studied this in college. You've taken classes. You have a degree in ceramics. What do you mean if the clay is finicky? Surely it's not the clay's fault. It's your fault if you can't do something with it, right? But no, the, the clay can be finicky. Apparently, sometimes when a, a potter is working with a lump of clay, the, the clay doesn't respond as the potter would like it to respond. See, a, a master craftsman like Alexi already has an end result in mind before they begin a project. They, they know in their heads what they're setting out to create. They envision something for the clay to become. But when the clay is being finicky, I've read that even sometimes the, the vessel can start to take shape and then suddenly just fall apart. It seems to disintegrate into a shapeless heap of clay. This could happen for a variety of reasons. It could be a, a tiny pebble that, that was overlooked, an air bubble that didn't get smashed out in the, the pre preparation process. Other times, the, the potter just may not be happy with the way something is forming, and he might just take the clay and throw it off the wheel in disgust and start over. This is what Jeremiah observes in the potter's house in verse 4, right? Verse 4 says that the vessel was spoiled in the potter's hand and that he reworked it into another vessel. And here's the key, as seemed good to the potter to do. Because the, the potter's the one in charge, right? He's the one who's doing what seems good to him to do with the clay. He can do whatever he wants to with it, whatever he feels like, whatever seems good to him. And if the clay is not cooperating, well, the potter can just smash it down and start over, or wipe it off, whatever he wants to do with it, whatever he thinks best. So after Jeremiah sees this happen, then the word of the Lord comes to him in verse 5. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. It's a lesson taken straight from the object lesson of the, the wheel, the perfect metaphor here for God and his people. It contains three elements in this illustration, right? You got the potter, you got the clay, and you also have the wheel. And what, what God is saying here is that, that he is the potter, we are the clay, and the wheel is, is actually the, the circumstances of our everyday lives that God uses to shape us and to form us into the vessel that he intends for us to be. The potter, the wheel, the clay. Some preachers and some songs even use this illustration in kind of a feel-good kind of message, right? That God is the potter who gently holds us in his hands and he's not through with us. He's, he's patiently 
working with us and gently caring for us until we become the beautiful structure that he intended for us to be. Let's pray. No, that's, that's not exactly what's happening in this text, is it? There's a bit of a disaster in this text. It says that, that the, the, the vessel was spoiled in the hands of the potter. What is that about? What, what is God trying to teach us through the prophet Jeremiah and through the ruined vessel? What is that all about? Since the clay was spoiled, then, then the potter had to rework it into something else. God spells it out for us in verse 7. He says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck it up and break it down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, then I will relent of the disaster I intended to do to it. If God intends to pluck up, that's an agricultural term, to uproot, or, or break down, that's a construction term, demo, or destroy, that's a, a war term, the destruction of an army. Any given group of people, a kingdom, a nation, if he intends to do this, but those people repent and they turn from their, their wickedness, then God will relent of his intention to destroy them. They will turn and live as the prophet Amos calls us to do. He says, turn and live. They will turn and flourish as God wants them to. God desires that all people should flourish. This was clearly seen over and over again throughout Scripture, but probably nowhere is it more obvious than in the story of Jonah, right? We've been reading through Jonah during simple worship the last two Wednesday nights, and you know the story. He gets called to go to Nineveh. He runs the other way, but eventually he goes to the, the capital city of Assyria. It's, it's a pagan nation. It's the enemy of Israel. It'd be like God saying to me, Nathan, go to North Korea and preach in Pyongyang. <laughs> I, I probably would go the opposite way as well, as Jonah did. But you know what happens? He preaches a little eight-word sermon to him. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And he feels kind of good about that. He's kind of excited about the fire and brimstone that's about to fall. So he goes outside the, the city and he builds a booth and he waits for fire to fall, baby. Rain down on Nineveh. But something unexpected happens. These, these Ninevites, these pagan, violent, destructive people, foreigners, they repent. In fact, the king calls for a national fast for everyone in the whole nation, even the livestock, not to eat anything, to, to fast and put on sackcloth and mourn over their sin. Who knows? He says, maybe God will relent. And what happens? God relents of the disaster. For at least another 200, 150 years or so, Assyria maintains viability as they repented uh, and turned to the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, the one true God. God cares deeply for all people, so repentance was his desire for the Ninevites from the very beginning. That was his plan all along. Jonah even gets mad at God for that. He says, I knew you were going to forgive them. I knew they were going to repent. You're a merciful God, aren't you? But the opposite is true, too, about God's intentions for a people. Look at verse 9. He says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build it, and I will plant it firmly. And if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. You see, a, a lot of the prophets, a lot of the prophecies that we have in Scripture are conditional prophecies. They're, they hinge on the actions of a people. 
right? A prophet will proclaim something like, behold, God intends to do this great thing for you, this good thing. But if you will not listen to his call, we've been talking about that all month, if you will not go down the tried and true path that he has revealed to you, we talked about last week, the ancient way that God has shown you to walk in, if you want to go your own way, then destruction will come upon you. Calamity, this good thing that he intended, will actually result in bad for you. The point is this, the, the potter is in charge. The theological term for being in charge is sovereign. The, the potter is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to with the clay. And in fact, it is, it is his good intentions for this, you say it's a five-pound lump of clay? Is that what that was? Alexei's intentions for that five-pound lump of muddy clay are what actually makes it something beautiful, something useful, something that, that, that has purpose and meaning and significance. It is, it is his, is the potter's genius. It's the potter's creative powers that enables the clay to become this vessel that he intends for it to be. It's the potter's resources that takes this muddy clay out of the ground, that removes it of all of its impurities, and then molds it into something that the clay never could have imagined it might actually become. It fulfills the vision of the potter. But clay can be finicky. I've read that the quality of the clay determines what the potter can do with it. The quality of the clay determines what the potter can do with it. You see, if Jeremiah, when he saw that, that, that clay on the wheel of the potter, he saw that the clay was not suitable for the purposes which the potter intended for that clay. Therefore, the, the, the clay was unacceptable. The quality rendered it useless, so the potter squashed it and, and repurposed it. He had to scrap it and did something else with it as seemed good to him to do. If the clay refuses to be mastered by the potter's hand, then the potter must repurpose it. Alexi told me before the service, he said, I'm going to go ahead and center it, because if, if I don't get that right, then it could take 20 minutes just to center it. 20 minutes to center it. He's going to make two here. I'm excited. It's beautiful. <laughs> really nice. Good job. <laughs> That's amazing. It really is. Incredible skill. The, the genius of a master potter, which determines what will happen with the clay, but the quality of the clay determines what the potter can do with it. The, the best intentions of a potter like Alexi for the clay are only carried out if the clay is in keeping with his purposes. If the clay is in the same uh, vein that his intentions are for it, then it will become this thing. If not, though, it will be scrapped and repurposed. The stubbornness, the, the finicky nature of clay can prevent it from becoming something beautiful and something useful, something practical. Finicky clay is frustrating to a potter, right, Alexi? <laughs> Finicky clay frustrates the purposes of a potter. Clay that is not pliable, clay that is, uh, has an unworkable quality to it is only good to, to be a hard lump 
Maybe it could be a, a, a doorstop, something to be kicked, rolled across a dirty floor. Maybe that's the only good thing for unpliable clay. Worst case scenario, the, the clay gets wiped off the wheel in disgust as the potter says, I can't do anything with this clay. This can be a difficult lesson for people who are successful. This can be a hard lesson for people who are proud, for people who are high achieving, like we have in our area, in, in our church. People who are stubborn, who, who think they know best, will have a hard time with this illustration because they want to say back to God, but, but I think my way really is best. I have my own idea of what I want to be. I'm not sure I trust really your purposes, God. I'm not sure I really believe that what you want for me is what I want. I'm not sure that your intentions of this vessel that you have in mind for me are necessarily what I want to become. Because I think I know best. People like that are not pliable. They're not malleable. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses the, the imagery of the potter and the clay to address people like this. In Romans chapter 9, verse 20, he says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter got no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. See, a, a little perspective is needed, right? We are but dust that the potter has, has taken from the ground. Who are we to tell him what to do with us now? He has rescued us out of the pit with his loving, gentle embrace and pulled us up. Who are we now to say to him, no, 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 I don't want you to do with me what, I, what you want to do. You know, it's a serious offense for the clay to talk back to the potter, to question his intentions, because clay is so unbelievably limited in its, in its creative powers. In fact, it has none. It's the potter alone that enables the clay to become something beautiful. God is sovereign. That means he's completely in control. Not one molecule in the cosmos operates outside of God's will, of God's intentions, of God's power and reign and control. The prophet Isaiah tries to help God's people understand this in chapter 45. It'll be on the screen. Verse 9, woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? <laughs> or your work has no handles. I think that's hilarious. Your work has no handles. What are you thinking? How are you supposed to carry me around? I got no handles, God. What are you thinking? Who is clay to say that? Woe to him who says that. Verse 10, woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the one who formed him. Ask, of, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and commanded all their host. 
It's the hands of God that put the stars in place with His fingers, who commands all of space and time. Therefore, the absolute best thing that you and I could do today is to completely and utterly surrender ourselves to the will of the potter. To completely say to the potter, God, you know best. Your ways are so much more infinitely higher than my ways. God, I'm just but dust that you've breathed life into. Whatever you want to make out of me is infinitely better than anything I could have asked or imagined to begin with. The best thing for us to do would be to completely abandon any aspirations that we have for our own lives apart from the potter's intentions. Because I guarantee you whatever he has in mind for us is light years beyond anything that we could have aspired or dreamed or hoped for. The quality of the clay is what determines what the potter can do with it. The result of Judah's stubbornness after Jeremiah gave them this prophetic word was destruction. God had intended for his people to be a city on a hill. They were supposed to be a a special treasured possession for himself, holy and set apart from all the other nations of the world. They were supposed to be the conduit of blessing to the rest of the families of the earth. And yet they refused to accept that role. Over and, and over again, they rejected the call of God to repent, to turn from going their own ways and to return to the ancient way that God had revealed to them at Mount Sinai so many years ago. God tells Jeremiah to call them to repent. Look at verse 11 again. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, this is such a tragic verse, they say that is in vain. That's useless. That's worthless is what they say to the potter. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. God's good plans for Israel were negated by the quality of the clay that they had become. Instead of surrendering to God's good purposes for their nation, they chose their own silly plans, which led to destruction. They they could not, therefore, be shaped into something beautiful, something useful that God had in mind for them. So now only drastic judgment would suffice to make them the kind of malleable clay that God intended for them them to be, so they were wiped off the wheel in 586 by the Babylonians. They would be squashed down, (coughs) excuse me, so that he could essentially start over with them. They would be sent into exile in Babylon for 70 years, and only a small remnant would return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and start over. It's a tragic story that we see played out all the time around us in our society, People whose hearts have become so calloused to the call of God on their lives that judgment becomes inevitable. They have no desire to repent. They they don't aspire to become that which God has intended for them to be. They think their plans are better than God's plans. 
for them. Again, the quality of the clay determines what the potter can do with it. But we're not left to despair. This tragic story has hope. Jeremiah prophesied about a greater hope, a new covenant that God would make with his rebellious children. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. This is a different kind of covenant. This is a covenant of divine grace. This is a a covenant of mercy in which the heart of God would be planted within his own children. Verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law not on stone tablets, but I'll put it within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He goes on to say that I will forgive their iniquity through the sacrifice of his only son. For the potter so loved his clay that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Let the master craftsman, let the the potter, the sovereign potter, take you this morning. Let him knead you, tread on you as he removes the impurities from your life. And then allow him to place you centered on the wheel of your life. Come what may, knowing that he has you in his sovereign hands, shaping you into something you couldn't ever have dreamed you would be all through the new covenant of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time this morning in your word. We thank you for the the illustration that Alexi has given us of what you can do with a lump of clay like us, oh God. We confess that we are but dust, that left to our own devices, God, only destruction and ruin await us. God, we give ourselves to you afresh this morning. We yield our hopes and dreams to your hopes and dreams for us. May we be soft, may we be pliable, may we be malleable in your hands, O God, so that you can do something amazing with us as individuals and as a church, O God, as Woodmont Baptist, that you would mold us into the kind of church that you would have us to be, come what may. Those changes may be difficult, Lord, we know. Help us to have the courage to abandon ourselves to you, the master potter, trusting that your ways are best. Your ways are infinitely higher than our ways. God, may we be the kind of clay that has the quality that you're looking for to fulfill your intentions for us as your people. We love you. We pray this all in your high and your holy name. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. That is truly beautiful, Alexi. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. We're going to have a time now of, of reflection. Uh, it's, it's 11.25. You'll still get to lunch on time. But I would, I would ask you just to listen to this song, The Potter's Hand. Search your heart. See where the impurities may be. What's preventing you and me from becoming the kind of vessel that God has intended to shape us into today? 
We'll have a time of invitation later, but right now let's just reflect on how we are on the potter's wheel.